You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Casperson. I'm so excited, Kelly. Thanks for finding me. Well, I saw that you were following me on Instagram, and I haven't really been all, all that tuned into social media, but all of a sudden, it's like I've come out of a trance. Mm, welcome. And I, <laughs> and I need to talk to other people, because this is a researcher yep. and a clinician. You're not like necessarily talking with your professionals and community, you know? Yeah. And it's like, hello. Instagram's fun. But I mean, I think also like on a bigger scale, what we were talking about, you know, last time we talked is like, what I saw was the researchers are doing amazing work. People just don't know what the heck they're doing. And that's the communication piece. Therefore, like the podcast, the book, all that stuff. Because I actually was an MD, PhD dropout. I kept the MD. <laughs> I hated microscopes. And um, I was like, I get the research. I like reading the research. I don't like do I, I like the ideas, but like, the doing and the writing and the grants and like, no way. But like, I, I know the language and the people enough that it's very easy for me. Your book translates all of this stuff in such a way it becomes very accessible. Yes. Yeah. Very that's what, that's what accessible. they're saying. It's and easy to read. To me, it's easy to read and it, and it's just, it's so digestible for the layperson. And and I mean I loved your chapter on uh, the hormone stuff and the neurotransmitters because it's like you made it so concise and so yeah. accessible. And I think it can be, but I think it takes a certain skill to like be able to read that stuff and to be able to digest it down to be like, of course this is the way you behave because just understand dopamine briefly and then it makes sense. Right. Like for people, people really want to understand their bodies. They want to understand why they're that, why they work the way they do. And they like, they're curious about it. And because of all the work you've done as a physician and a surgeon, and then your education about sexual medicine that you undertook, you understand it. So you get it not only straight, but you bring your expertise to it as well. Yeah, you probably get this too. Is like you you forget that people don't know this stuff because you just it's your day every day every day every day, right? And you're like, how do people still not understand that like vaginal estrogen is safe and fantastic, <laughs> right? But it's like you do that forty plus hours a week. You forget other people don't know it, but they don't. But that's why Instagram's useful because and you'll you'll realize what people know on Instagram, and it's not much. And what's really great about what you're doing is that you cut through, I mean, what people get on social media in general, there's so much out there and so much of that information is not accurate. And even when journalists, right, have written about my work and other people's work, they don't really get it. It doesn't, it doesn't sometimes, and they don't even bother sometimes to fact check unless they're like a really, like a science journalist. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the, the ideas that are out there are really, it's hard for people to sift through it is. and get really it is. good information. Yeah. And like, you know, you, then you get the marketers and people just wanting to sell you stuff and like, you got to sift through all of that. Like, is this real? Is this supplement, this hot supplement of 2022? Is that the newfound thing? Like, where do people go for that information? Right. 
Absolutely. And a lot of times people are looking for the quick fixes and the pills and the medications when a lot of it, as you, you know, have written about, is lifestyle changes too and, and yeah. changes in our perspectives. Like we're not broken. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. We're not totally. broken. And that we're the one who can is supposed to figure it out for us. We're we're just looking for the guru. We're looking for the supplement. We're looking for you know the one piece of something. And it's like it's within you to figure it out. And that's again, it's that mental that mental change. The quote that I saw in your book that I I put out onto Instagram because it just blew me away about the patriarchy mm-hmm. and that we as women aren't really supposed to desire. Mm-hmm. and that we're supposed to be the objects of desire, you mm-hmm. know, just kindled something in me, Kelly, because I'm thinking about what we're facing politically. And, you know, the pleasure is a very political thing that, you know, without having agency about our own, own bodies, without feeling safe in our own bodies, how are we in the supposed to be able to access feeling safe? Feeling safe is the most important thing for exploration 100%. and feeling like an equal citizen. So this is where I am feeling such a call to action to be in connection and having these conversations and sort of reorienting women, all of us, all of us collectively, to the idea that pleasure is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Men are certainly entitled to their, you know, sexual pleasure. It's expected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear more about you as a urologist and how you kind of got it in your head and made this incredible commitment to educate yourself and therefore being able to educate people because of the huge gaps in sexual medicine and, and women's health period yeah. that we're now starting to become more aware of. Totally. Well, I, I mean, I, you, when you're trained in Western medicine, right, Like, and I put this in the book, but like Western medicine was created by men. Women are really these people who have these extra problems like periods and pregnancies, right? And so like women are, the way I see it now is like women aren't people. Women are these people, like our, our bodies just do things, right? That men's bodies don't do. So those are like women's issues and air quotes instead of like people's issues because we're 50% of the people, right? And so you're trained in Western medicine and you, there was a professor in medical school and he said, 50% of what you are going to learn here is wrong. We just don't know what 50%. It was like the best thing to like stick onto that thought, right? Because you really get trained like this is dogma. This is what we know. This is a fact, but don't forget that some of this is wrong. Right. And then I got trained in urology. Urology now, 9% of urologists in America are female. Um, so we have very few women representation because urology was just very male. It was like the male problems, right? It was the male sexual. And, and in that, you're assuming somebody else is taking care of the female in the assumption that we're only male, right? And you, we find out gynecologists are busy, man. They're super busy. They like, they're not owning it. And a lot of them will say it. I'm, I'm not putting words into their mouth. And so when I was trained in urology, it was like penis, Viagra, how it works. It's a pump. It's a light switch. It's blah, blah, blah. Women are different, complicated, and we'll never figure them out. It's like basically what I was told. And so I was like, okay, I'll just wait till somebody figures them out. And um, it just clicked about three three to four years ago now of like, who's hel- who's helping these people? Who's helping the people who are supposed to be sleeping with the people I'm giving Viagra to? 
is like my new tagline. It's like, oh, nobody's helping them. They don't know where to go. They think they're broken. They don't know the basics of you put something in the vagina and you won't have an orgasm 70% of the time. Like they don't, 10% of women have never had an orgasm. Like we're so trained to like not be sexually to enjoy ourselves sexually, we're just here to be desired, right? And in order to be desired, we've got to buy all the products, look good, change our appearance, behave a certain way, right? And so we have to do all this stuff to be desired and not have our own enjoyment to boot. And we get shamed either way. We get get shamed shamed either way. Either way. If we're sexual, we get shamed. If we're not particularly feeling desire, which, and I love what you write about, Forget about desire. I don't know if I want to use the F word on your podcast. You could use it on my podcast. But it's like, fuck desire. You know, and and 90% of the calls that I get as a sex therapist, both from women and men, is that the usually the woman has lost active sexual desire in a long-term relationship. And it's like the big thing. The desire is gone and the person feels broken, usually the woman. And if it's the man, then there's the double whammy of shame because men are supposed to always want to jump on something and have sex. Mm-hmm. So that's the vast majority of like the number one reason that people see a sex therapist is loss of desire. They don't understand That there's active desire, receptive desire, and you know what? You don't even need desire. You can can fuck desire. To to have great sex. That's right. To have great sex. And if we're not balanced in our lives, if we're not enjoying our lives, if we're not turned on by our lives, we're not going to feel turned on even at the thought of having sex, even the desire to have fun. Yeah, I think for a lot. This is a big issue. Totally. I think for a lot of women, sex is a chore. Sex is a chore, and now they feel bad because they don't desire the chore that they're doing. And in heterosexual marriages, when a man whines that he's not getting the sex that he wants and needs and the wife doesn't desire him like, you know, she used to, that's not sexy. I'm so glad I met you. (laughs) I, I, I just... I can't tell you how excited I am to have conversations with you. It's like kind of like I told you, I feel like I've come out of a trance from being so like I, I went back to grad school for the doctorate when I was 50. So the past 15 years, uh, I've just been so in this deep dive, learning how to do the brain research, writing up three papers and then actually a fourth paper went in yesterday because what I'm really hoping to educate people is about how our core emotions work, the wired in emotions. Lust is one of them. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't feeling safe, if we're we're constantly stressed out, like you write about in the book with cortisol all over the place, not only are we not going to have sexual kind of interests, we're going to be like stressed out and miserable and get physically unhealthy too. That's right. So this, 100%. and this is such a burning issue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, between I, I was looking, you know, with the New York Times talking about, you know, the clitoris and then the uh, PBS doing that. Why don't we stop study women's sexual health? Yep. And, you know, even when Nightline came to film my dissertation research, 
the I'm trying to think of her name, Juju Zhang or her the correspondent started off the conversation asking me and they came to see me. They I didn't look for them. Our readers, our viewers are going to want to know why you're studying sex and not something important like cancer. They yeah. didn't put that in the video, but I just like starting off. It's so hard to do sex research. It's super hard. And I, what it's I, so you, know, you know more than me, but what I see is that you have to leave America and go to Canada if you want to have a decent sex researcher because Canada seems to, to like support these people better. I just heard from Meredith Chivers this morning. She's the one you're familiar with her work about how the genitalia in women are less specific in responding to sexual stimuli, where for men it's more about their identified. That's um, right. Sex. Yeah. She break said that, that, let's break that down for the listeners. So women in these studies, and correct me, but I think people would love this. You put a woman, you give her various erotica videos. She basically gets turned on by like almost everything. And then you get you put a guy in there, a heterosexual male, and he mostly gets turned on by watching heterosexual porn. Is that well, you, over, oversimplified? Well, well, actually, the distinction is her vagina has increased blood flow, mm-hmm. and it doesn't translate into subjective arousal. Right. So there, there's that more like what my pelvis does is, is that arousal desire non-concordance, right? So exactly. You're like, I'm not sure that I'm turned on. And the researchers are like, yeah, your vagina is wet. Your vagina, you got blood flow going to your vagina. Yeah, your, your and actually, is saying yes, and your brain is saying, I'm not aware of this. Yeah, people have had all sorts of theories about why that is. And, you know, evolutionary theories are always interesting because you can't they're prove super, them. Yeah, they're super But, like, for example, you know, like females of mammalian species and primates don't always get to choose who they have sex with. So one of the theories about that, and it's it's fascinating, we could talk all day about this, and Meredith knows way more about this than me, uh, the idea is that it's sort of a protective mechanism to kind of protect the, by creating some blood flow and lubrication mm-hmm. to pr- protect the genitalia. The other thing is, how, we. I think this is even more salient when I think about it, we as women do not get sort of encouraged to focus on sensations from our genitals it's not like Mm -hmm. we're expected to and because the penis is an audi it's kind of hard to miss when it gets you know um erect but even beyond that you know like it's kind of we're not really supposed to be embodied sexual beings we're objects aren't we also told that any sort of vaginal discharge is disgusting Exactly. Right? And yeah. a lot of women don't even like their vaginas and their vulvas. They, yeah. But actually, um, Meredith just sent me off an email that Katie Couric is writing about this now, the importance of pleasure. I just gave Katie so Couric So I don't know book. if they're going to contact. Okay, so she's on it. This I, is, met, I this met her is two weeks ago in New topic. York, and I gave her my book. So call me, Katie. This is a hot topic. It's a and, hot you know, topic. Right, bef- right before... Uh, COVID shut things down. I was on to the Today Show talking with Maria Shriver and Jessica Shepard, who's a gynecologist, yep, about the yep. importance of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that's really the whole point of my book is, you know, when you're not able to have pleasures in and out of the bedroom, it's a real window into how our emotional brains are really not functioning properly. 
hundred percent. That's really a huge, huge problem for us, an epidemic of people not being able to gain pleasures from everyday life and we're getting hijacked and we're so we're more hot tempered. People are hot tempered, they're afraid, they're reactive. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a very interesting time. And I, I guess it's that, always an interesting time. It's though. always interesting, right? I think what's important for people like to take away is they're like, okay, so now what? What do I do with that information? And it's like this idea of, you know, the air quotes regulating your nervous system of like being aware you're in your sympathetic state, that you are having stress, that you are go, go, go. Being able to see it first, right? Because all of us don't know the water we're swimming in. And then being able to mm-hmm. say, what works for me? What works for me to calm me down to get me in the mood? Whether that's yoga or going on a walk or journaling or being alone or taking a bath or whatever, it t- turn off the phone, like literally turn it off and put it in a drawer. <laughs> like, like learning that you have the skills you don't have to take a pill you don't have to divorce your husband you don't have to like instead of just trying to push quit your job you can be like what works for me to change my neural state and you know i think you're absolutely on target there what do we need to do what now paying attention to our bodies noticing sensations in the bodies, you know, like we're so busy being in our heads that when I talk to patients or clients, I call them clients, uh, when we, when I talk to them and I'll say to them, what's going on in your body right now? They look at me like I'm crazy because they're in their heads. Nobody's they're ever in asked their them thoughts. That. And this is what, yeah. And psychology, even my, I'm, I'm embarrassed about my own field because my own field is so preoccupied with emotions being like thoughts, your thoughts about your feelings, not really owning that your whole body is part of the equation. And like you said, until we unplug from our devices and pay attention to our bodies, you know, we're not really going to get the information that those core emotions are giving us about what's not working for us in our lives. Yeah, the disconnect that emotions give. Emotions, feelings are the reason we do or don't do something. Like it is feelings, feelings, feelings. And we're not taught that. I think Western medicine did a huge disservice by separating brain and body. They're not separate. Like 2022 memo. They're not separate. We're getting information all the time. And I joke, I coach a lot of surgeons and I joke that surgeons only feeling is tight. (laughs) (laughs) So when you say tight, what is that for surgical stuff? What do they mean by tight? Well, tight, like tight in the body, right? Like, how are you feeling? Like we're mostly just tight. Tight in the body? Tight in the body. And when you are tight in the body, you're not usually not having tight in the body. Yeah. Like tight. Like I feel tight. Like you're closed off. You're protect, you're trying to protect. Oh, tight. Oh, are these surgeons telling you about how they're feeling? Yeah. Well, they don't know. They don't know any feeling words. We start with happy, sad. Oh. I, I start with saying most surgeons just feel tight because, like, identifying your feelings is considered soft instead of a superpower. Uh, right. So you're you're trained to be a super person. Yeah. Well, you don't have feelings. No. Mm-mm. We yeah. train them out of you if you did. Years ago, I did a training with John Kabat-Zinn, who's the mind, the guy who brought the Maven mindfulness to the medical yep. community. It was all yep. doctors and yep. some psychologists. And after people sat in meditation, the, so many of the doctors broke down crying. 
doctors crying. Are yeah. Doctors are traumatized. They're doctors are traumatized crying. people. Our training is, is incredibly traumatizing. We see the worst of the worst every single day, and then we pick it up and we do it again the next day. I give you a lot of credit to be able to go into the operating room and have somebody's literal life in your hands. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of it. Like, you have to function, right? Like, you have to you have to fix the body. But, like, we're not taught how to process that. We're not taught how we hang on to that. We're not taught how we then give that to our families and perpetuate the trauma. Like, the medical training is is traumatizing. And then we and feel it, broken because we don't want to have sex. <laughs> and it's how is this possibly related? Like, it's all related. But when and you I don't just about, mean doctors, like nurses too, like PAs, all, oh all, the, all everybody, yeah. social workers, all these people who see this stuff every single day. And then they're like, what do I do about my pleasure and my sex? And you're like, it's all related. We got to learn how to feel our feelings so we can process that. And this is, you know, why I'm now like deep diving into trauma and Gabor Mate and all this wonderful stuff is because all this trauma stuff absolutely affects sex, your sex life. And it's really life is trauma. Life is trauma. And when we recognize all the big trauma people uh, who I do trainings with talk about the body. You know, the body keeps score. Body keeps the That's score. Van de Kolk, if I'm pronouncing his name. But, you know, if I go back to talk about psychology, you know, if you go way, way back, Darwin got it. He talked about the continuity of emotion and man and animals. And then psychology basically just wrote off that anything subcortical, anything below the, you know, the, the reason, what we call the reasoning mind, the reasoning mind can't reason without emotion. Mm -hmm. And it's so, so sad to me because I've looked at it on my own journey of having panic attacks and anxiety. You know, when I spoke to my therapist the first time, when you get over being angry with your mother, then you'll be fine. They didn't understand and they didn't really do the work to understand that there's so much that goes on in your body. And some people just have a kind of a wiring where they're more predisposed to having things like panic attacks or depression. And of course, our early childhood environments change can actually turn on those genes or dial down those genes. But without working with the body, and being able to get into that place, like you said, of being like in your body and kind of calming your body. You can't listen into the emotions in your body, which give you good information. That's right. And you can't work with those emotions. And you can't kind of like take good care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Having that connection with your own emotional system in your body allows you to be exquisite in your self-care. Like really knowing do I need to go for a walk? Do I need to take a bath? Do I need to take a run? Do I need to feed myself? Do I need to tell somebody something isn't working for me? Mm -hmm. It's such important information. Yeah, 100%. I'm blanking on her name now. She's a psychotherapist. She's 90-something, World War II. You know what I'm talking about? She wrote The Gift and... Uh, oh anyway, God, if she, I don't, you know I'm talking about. She's I fantastic. have to She's look fantastic. her up. We gotta look her up. People, sorry, people, but um, she says she talks about this, and she says you need to be your own mommy. You need to be your mommy. 
Exactly. And yeah. you know, when, when I do a lot of couples work and people expect their partners to make them feel safe and to make them feel wanted and all of that. And when people make progress, they realize that it by being their own good parent, they can supply a lot of those really good sort of relationship with themselves. And then they can be a much better partner and also take stands for what they need and want from their partners. Yes. And I think, you know, you going back to you're like, we don't feel safe. How do we feel safe? Like, I think this is a key part of it of like, Loving yourself, parenting yourself, knowing what you need, knowing what's a hell yes and what's a hell no. That's creating within you that safety that nobody else can give you, right? Um, Edith Edgar is her name, and she wrote The Gift. I have to Be- read Beautiful that. book. Thank she, you. Two Thank ama- you. Amazing. And on that emotional note, for me, my work as a psychotherapist became incredibly easier. Because, you know, we hear, I hear all day people stress their trauma. I hear stories that can make your hair curl. And what I've learned that's made it so much easier for me to work with people and I think effectively is I know it's not my job to fix them. It's not my job to change their feelings. It's my job to stay present, to listen into their feelings in a way they can hear themselves more deeply. They can tolerate those emotions in their body and what goes on in their heads enough where those emotions can peak and release. Yes. So I Let- get to feel it with them. We need to tell we like, the, and I just want to contrast that with you know Western medical practice, because doctors, our job is to fix things. We need to fix you. How do I fix you in ten minutes or less? So probably a drug, right? And then what does the patient think? The patient thinks the solution is in the doctor. The doctor is going to fix me, right? They lose their agency. So we've got doctors taking on the burden of needing to fix this situation, and patients be taking on the burden of I'm I don't know the answer. The doctor does, right? And we're like, well, no wonder why we're not figuring this out very well. It's, it's, there's other ways to do this. The Western medicine no, is very good at fixing some things. Like, we're great at femur fractures and taking out cancer. Like, very good at lots of Infectious diseases. Great at infectious diseases. The rest of it is really like maintenance, right? For, and when people own their own bodies, they feel their own bodies. I think what happens is they can make those lifestyle changes because they feel better. It feels good when you eat healthy things that taste good and are good for you. When you're in touch with your body, eating a bag of Doritos afterwards does not feel so good. That's right. Where when you really, you know, health, and what is better healthy hedonism than consensual sexual fun with a partner? Mm-hmm. Or even with yourself. And I think going back to fun in general of like people forget, you know, it's this whole like, I don't want to date my spouse sort of like, you know, entitlement of like, have fun with them. Have fun. Like studies have shown the more fun you have with your partner, the better sex life you have, right? Whether that's dancing or going to a, going bowling or going on, taking a roller coaster ride, get your endorphins up together. Like there's so much data that shows the more fun you guys have together, it translates into the bedroom. But if you're just using each other as like, you know, childcare and house maintenance, it gets a little dull. I saw that in your book. And actually last night I was sitting there having a conversation with my husband and it was like, 
I realize it's so funny. It's it's ironic. I am somebody who's suffered a lot from anhedonia, the inability to have pleasure as a result of having so much anxiety. When you have a lot of anxiety, you feel less open to pleasure and then not having pleasure makes you more anxious. And I realize that kind of across the board, what I am doing is I'm coaching clients how to have more pleasure. And the restorative, the benefits of positive affective states, what we're talking about is the care state, you know, which is powered by our own internal opioids, which makes us feel well-being. The dopamine, the seeking system gets us enthusiastic. And when we then realize how important it is to play, that when we can get playful, as long as we can feel safe, the play system in animals and people turn off if we don't feel safe. If we can become playful, those positive states help the prefrontal cortex and the emotional system begin to shift into new emotional habits. So people like Yak Pengsept, who is my mentor and idol, unfortunately he's no longer with us, he's the guy who mapped out the circuitry of the mammalian emotional brain. And even chickens have, chickens have some of those circuits. Like what he did was so, he's like going to be the next Darwin. And people don't recognize how important that the pleasure signal is for learning, for us being able to regulate our lives, to be able to have the kind of ability to access those positive states, like, you know, playfulness, care, um searching for things, and also being able to tap into lust here and there. Mm -hmm. That's actually very healing of our trauma. Yeah. So rather than focus on the negative states, which Lord knows we have them and we can listen into them and discharge them, we need to be able to train ourselves to be able to recognize the emotions in our bodies and start looking at and looking for how we can create the outcomes that we would like to create, to have more fun with ourselves, more fun with our partners. And I think if we think about sex as a much bigger thing than genitals and friction, if we think about it as being play, exploring and play with partners, and it doesn't have to look any any way, mm-hmm. it would be a lot more fun. And I think, you know, we would have a lot more sex as, as the end result. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this whole low desire, we'll call it low desire epidemic, but like this, I'm like, you guys, this is a wake up call about your life and how you want to live your life. You know, somebody, somebody was, I was doing coaching and they were like, but what do you do when there's still dishes in the sink? And I was like, do you, are you realizing you're living your life concerned about dishes in the sink? And I'm not saying like, let your house fall apart, but like, if you can't do anything fun because there's dishes in the sink, maybe use that as an opportunity to like, how am I choosing to live this life? And am I taking the dishes in the sink way too seriously over over enjoyment and pleasure and relaxation, right? Like they're almost just stuck in the cortisol, sympathetic, and they don't see it. And what that cortisol and stress does is it just reinforces the habits, these neuronal pathways that keep people habit-ridden. And what they're focusing on and what they're doing is a big habit loop. 
Yeah. As opposed to like getting, okay, here I am in the now. What's what what's cool in the now? Being in the now is where all the fun stuff is, at least some of the time. Yeah, totally. And well, we I think we're in the now some of the time. We're very entitled to like have amazing sex, but like have a shitty overall like work life balance and mindset and health and like health of our body and our mind is highly correlated with a happy sex life. Like you, it's hard to have one without the other ones, right? And so, like you know, I saw a woman with low desire, and it's like she was. Just, so she was not having a healthy lifestyle, very high stress, lots of chronic medical conditions. And it's like, it's it's kind of, it explains it, not like, oh, well, well let's fix your sex drive in spite of all this other stuff that, you know, we've decided not to try to do anything about. It's just a symptom of the lifestyle issues that we have, that we were being hijacked by this high stress, high you know, attention pulling lifestyle mm-hmm. and we're so hijacked, you know, yeah. and that I, I just think it's incredible that you took the time to listen and ask your patients to be an askable doctor and to have these kinds of conversation that go be beyond, I guess, what the average sort of check-in for a urologist is. Well, yeah, I mean, you just hear things enough times in a row and you you pick up, I'm a pat, like, I am, a, I guess I'm a researcher ultimately. It's like you pick up patterns, <laughs> right? And then you just start asking questions about the patterns that you see. And you're like, what's happening? Who's taking care of these people? Why is everybody's sex life shitty? Like, you know, and starting to get into it. But like, to tell you the truth, I'm in, I'm in a very traditional medical practice. I have 10 minutes, right, with people. Like, that is not the time to figure all this stuff out. You need to read. You need to podcast. You need to start paying attention to your life. Like, you need a dialogue. And so, like, to me, I'm like, it's actually not my favorite thing to talk to a woman about low desire in a 10-minute clinic visit because it's a huge topic, right? So it's like, Come to me after you've read the book, after you've listened to the podcast, after you've you know started, and I'm happy to help. But if they come in just thinking like there's a pill or there's like one a light switch, it's like no, you're going to be disappointed because it's not. And that's why I love this topic because I can talk about this for the rest of my life. It's so freaking big, right? But in a 10 minute solve my problem right now, doctor, it's actually very dissatisfying. Does that make sense? Completely makes sense. And I think what we're really talking about, Kelly, is that it's not really about fixing the sex drive. It's really about understanding what's not working in the person's life where they're just not having access to what I call the pleasure, the pleasure drive. Wanting to, we want to get up in the morning and have the idea that something and some things or some practices or something in our lives are going to personally give us pleasure, even outside of our roles as mothers, you know, grandparents, partners, uh, you know, physicians, that, that, that we in particular as women, because we work harder in and out of the house in general than men. And I'm sorry, that's, that's just right. the reality of that's, it. You that's know. data. That we, that's data, you know, we can argue all day long about how it should be, that how something should be is not the, is a researchable question, is how can we begin to prioritize pleasure, which is in our puritanical culture, a dirty word, in particular when it's applied to women and sex. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to, to, 
people take a very passive view of this of like, well, maybe someday something will be pleasurable to me. Is like you have to go figure it out. And I think the role of creativity and like creating something in your life, whether that's creating a podcast or creating art or creating dance or just writing, right? The role of creativity in figuring out, I like to do this and it makes me feel good is kind of a parallel to like sexual activity, right? Of like, I like to do it. It makes me feel good. That's important in my life because that actually makes me want to get up in the morning. And the more that somebody focuses on that, the more that they can train. As a neuroscientist, I got to tell you that attention is everything. Where we put our attention and people who are anxious like me or depressed, we tend to look at things that are either threatening or things that may, you know, like, oh my God, what will happen? We'll drop the ball. Like we worry a lot. And there's, you know, the worry is a good thing to a certain point. And we can, by what we put attention on, we can actually change the structures and the functions of many areas of the brain. So training ourselves to focus on the body is going to have an impact on the brain. Focusing on pleasure and what's going to feel good and be good for us. It's going to, and, and Yak Pangsept, who is that neuroscientist, he wrote about this presciently that, Therapies are going to be more about focusing on positive, on creating positive and pleasant, happy emotional experiences. So what I do with my clients is I give them when they, most of them, what's called the affective neuroscience personality skills. That are, it's an online thing that they can take that gives us a little snapshot of the core like sort of systems, the defensive systems, fear, rage, and then panic. With the panic system is what gets triggered when we're worried about the uh, like a loss of a resource or when we're worried about a relationship. And then the seeking system, which gets hijacked by how we're using our attention, is in, works with all the other systems. And then we have the affiliative systems, care, powered by the opioids that we create, joy, which is, excuse me, play, which is social joy that gets so tapped in, tamped down in adulthood. And then the lust, but they don't measure lust on that scale because they were afraid if they asked people about lust, it would contaminate the other questions. But when people see how sometimes out of whack their core emotional systems are usually in the direction of the defensiveness, you know, either fear, panic, grief, or the rage system is kind of higher than you'd want. If you can't feel safe, and when those defenses are triggered, even rage, you're not feeling safe. And if you're not feeling safe, you're not balanced and you're walking around like a cortisol time bomb, you know? So this, just understanding something's out of balance without like making it pathological. It's like, oh, let's go to the gym. Let's pay attention to our bodies. Let's harness our breath. Let's harness our attention. And, you know, for me, it works pretty good most of the time because as mm -hmm. someone who had that, you know, panic wiring where I used to have like, I would say basically, um, I could have absolutely um, performance anxiety in a room by myself. That's how anxious I used to get, like even thinking about talking, mm -hmm. that working on my nervous system over time, being in my body and like you said, yoga, harnessing the breath, all sorts of things that most of the time I can be way more curious than afraid and I can have way more fun. 
in everyday life and in my work. Yeah. And I What's think more the, fun than this? The, nothing. Having this, this is, conversation. This is the most, this is the most fun. Um, oh my gosh, we have three minutes left. <laughs> I can't. Um, I think the role of awareness, right? Like, because we're not, and, and this is exactly what you're saying, but like, if you're not aware of how your body is in the present moment, right? Like, let's say you come home and you're busy and your cortisol and then your spouse is like, let's have sex. And you're like, well, and now I feel super broken. Instead of the awareness of like, hey, I just worked 10 hours and then put the kids to bed. I'm in a stressed out, like just the awareness of it to understand why sex isn't a safe, pleasurable thing for you right now. You're not broken. You're exactly as you should be in this situation. Let's not add the extra like weight of like, ah, of like, it's just awareness that'll get us like, oh, right now I'm not in that state. Now, what do I need to get in that state? Is And maybe that's not going to happen today. Maybe it's going to happen this weekend. Maybe it's going to happen when I set some time aside for it. And this is a great a great question because a, a great point because then we might be able to feel entitled enough to say to our partners, you know what I really need and want right now? I'd like to talk with you about my day or I'd like you to hold me. Or I'd like to look at you and hear about your day, like connection to I'd be like able to, to yeah. really feel connected. I'd like you to make me a cup of tea, please. Because sometimes, tea. especially I'd for like women, like we need to take care of ourselves, but we need to be asked to be cared for because it's not default happening. People, people aren't just like, let's take care of that adult woman. Research shows that a very important relationship skill is really important is asking for what we need and we, what we want, not expecting people to read our minds and asking it over and over again without making it a big deal that we need to ask. If we don't ask, we're creating a relationship offense. Oh, that is a perfect thing to end on. Take that, take that one home, folks. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to do it again because this is super fun. Ah, there's so much more to talk about. And thank you for all of your work and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Hey friends, if you love what I'm doing on this podcast and love who I'm interviewing, I want to encourage you to join the private membership where you get a front seat pass with all of my interviews and you can even ask them questions. In addition, there's going to be group coaching with me and my upcoming guest coach to take this work, to go deeper, to live your best sex and love life. Join today at www.kellycaspersonmd.com membership. I'll see you on the inside.